From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Those on the spectrum for autism are often unemployed or underemployed. Danny Combs, whose son is on the spectrum, decided to step in and do something about it. Most individuals with autism are looking for gainful employment and actually want that, but aren't actually given the opportunity to seek it or genuinely find something that's a representation of their strength and ability. Combs has opened a school in Inglewood called TACT, teaching autism community trades. For graduates like Seamus Rollins, It was a life changer. I grew a lot as a person because I, it gave me an environment to be myself. And I um, something that I have learned now is autism doesn't necessarily mean that you're stupid. It just means that you learn differently. I'm Diane Pelez, and we donated our car to Colorado Public Radio. It was the car that both of my kids learned how to drive on. When it came time to get rid of the car because it made no more sense to repair it again, we took a vote and we decided to donate it to CPR. The process was really easy. We had to have our title, which we signed over, and the tow truck came and took it away. It's easy to donate your car at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. In recent years, there have been a number of television programs that highlight autism, with lead characters who perform superheroic deeds on a weekly basis, like ABC's The Good Doctor. He's breathing. He saved his life. Who are you? I'm Dr. Sean Murphy. I'm a surgical resident at San Jose St. Bonaventure Hospital. Autism stems from a neurological disorder that models itself in a variety of behavior. It impacts areas like language and communication, social interaction, motor coordination, and sensory processing. It's said that one in about 50 children are diagnosed on the spectrum each year. And in real life, becoming a doctor or finding any job while on the spectrum is not easy. According to the U.S. Department of Labor, Americans with autism experience substantial unemployment and underemployment. That's one reason why Danny Combs says after his son Dylan was diagnosed, he knew he needed to step up and do something about it. Most individuals with autism are looking for gainful employment and actually want that, but aren't actually given the opportunity to seek it or genuinely find something that's a representation of their strength and ability. And I think it's factors including just misrepresentation and misunderstanding of what autism is, um, where people still to this day look at it as a deficit and a disorder and some kind of something to not embrace and understand. And so they shy away from that. At one point, Combs taught people from the back of a 1958 Chevy pickup. Today, he's the founder and CEO of a new facility in Inglewood. TACT is an acronym for teaching the autism community trades. It helps students on the spectrum gain the skills they need to work in fields like the automotive industry, carpentry, and welding. It's touted as the only program in the country that provides this. TACT also has a job placement service with the goal of finding employment for all of its students. I recently toured the new facility where, like at many schools, the day began with roll call. Everybody else, one minute, I'm going to want cell yeah, phones off. Uh, I took a lot of stuff. What time is it? One o'clock. All right. 
Whoa. We're gonna start it. I don't have a lot of announcements today, um, but I do, don't I? I really do. I have so many things to say today. Um, let's take a roll, and we'll get our day started. I might be moving. You're gonna move? That's a big step towards your guys' independence is m moving into your own place, right? Yeah. So that's huge. Good job. So we want that for everybody, right? So we start with the employment, you have a job, usually, then you can find yourself your own place, and that's a huge step. But before the actual instruction begins, students gather in a circle to stretch their arms and legs. Combs explains why. We're trying to simulate what happens in the real work site. So when those guys would come out, they're stretching with their team, they're doing a safety briefing, talking about the expectations for the day, trying to get our students into that habit, as opposed to a traditional educational setting where you sit behind a desk and four white walls, staring at a computer screen, motionless, almost you know mindless in a lot of ways. We want it to be engaging. It's more holistic this way too. It's kinesthetic, social, they're overcoming frustration tolerance, they're developing executive functioning, and learning a skill. At TACT, students are trained in a variety of skills, including auto mechanics and computer science. On this day, we dropped in on a carpentry class and were immediately drawn to one of the students. So what are we observing right now? Yeah, so in our fancy new space, um, where our carbon shop that's being set up, we start every class with making sure that everybody has the appropriate uh, personal protective equipment. So it's very important that our students simulate the job site. So we want them to know what it feels like to wear safety glasses and actually, you know, what is sawdust and the sounds of the saws and all the different things that go with actually working in the field of construction. Not just from an academic, oh, I watched it on YouTube or saw a video of some sort, but what is it like to actually do it with your own hands and actually make it? So these students represent a new class that's just getting started. This is a great class to look at because it's the full spectrum of individuals with, uh, with autism spectrum. So you're seeing a variety of um, different abilities and levels that represent, um, you know, just what's possible when everybody's set up for success. Tell me about your student walker. Yeah. Um, so he's an amazing young man, and um, he actually works full-time at a sign shop doing building signs up in Loveland. I think he's a great representation of what people think of when they think of autism, but also then showcasing the ability that they might overlook, because there's so many stigmas that people have with what autism represents. I think if they are, watch him actually work, they'll see that there's quite a bit to offer. It's pretty amazing. And he was hired on the spot on the by spot. the sign company. Yeah, independently. I wish we work a lot with a lot of different businesses to get them placed. I wish we could take credit for that one. We can't. They recognized right away how good he was. And normally people would overlook a candidate. Absolutely. Like I think people hear the word autism and they get scared. I mean, it's a 90% unemployment rate. Even for individuals with autism with a college degree, it's still an 85% unemployment rate. That's wild to think that still that many people. And that's really what this program is about, is about creating opportunities. It is. It's the quality of opportunity for a genuine future, for independence, for um, having a career that is self-satisfaction. With that comes so many different aspects. It's good mental health. It's equality. It's opportunity. It's happiness. It's 
reward? I mean, it's so much. Yeah, I think a lot of times, of course, you're diagnosed as a child and mm-hmm. no one thinks about the fact that these people grow up and they do want, like anyone else, to be self-sufficient mm-hmm. and to have independence. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the transition traditionally for individuals with autism or any neurodivergent individual on the spectrum has been into a day treatment center. And while those have their place and can be fantastic, most of the time there are individuals that want something else for their future. And they aren't given that opportunity to choose what they want to do for their future. And the fact that they don't even have that choice. And if they do have a job, it's, do you want to work at this restaurant? Do you want to fold these napkins? Do you want to bag groceries here? And if that's what somebody wants, awesome. Let's help them do that. Mm -hmm. But if they want a chance to be a mechanic or a carpenter or a welder or whatever they want to do, they should have that opportunity. And I think at TACT, we try to create that as best we can. So where is Walker on the spectrum? I noticed he occasionally like wanders off. Yeah. So some individuals on the autism spectrum will do things called stemming, um, meaning that they might move their arms or their hands in a certain way to kind of overcome different types of feelings. So he's a great example of that. But people would look at it and think, okay, they're not paying attention. It's actually quite the opposite, where he's so hyper-tuned to what's going on around him. Even though it looks like to us like he's distracted and walking around, he's taking it all quite well. Is there an educational component to the work sites that these students end up at to explain, you may see this, you may see that, just oh, to, yeah. to teach them what to expect and to understand what's happening. Definitely. So the cool thing about the trades is so much of it has moved past, you know, written instructions or actual English language first type situations. So a lot of it's already set up with diagrams under color coding, different things that actually work really well for individuals with autism, helping them be successful. With all the employers that we work with, we don't want our graduates to be a token or like just kind of this, oh, look, I hired somebody with autism, how great my program is, as kind of a... um, you know, little DEI inclusion effort. We want it to be an actual program of inclusivity that recognizes that it's a culture shift, that to actually have full inclusion means not just having one individual with autism, but actually what does it look like to change the, the company culture to make genuine inclusivity. And so we work with different um, organizations to actually set up trainings for those individuals, for those corporations, in regards to how does the space need to be set up? How does management interview? How do we actually set up career advancement? How do we actually set up opportunities where we can contribute and have different note takers in a meeting versus how do we set up just corporate meetings, which is, can be something so similar where, um, you know, the room temperature in rooms, a variety of different things we work with them to kind of help make actual quality. And it seems to be an emphasis on providing meaningful work, something that that student is more passionate about, not just busy work, like you said, to to just say we hired someone. I think everybody deserves the opportunity to have a career of their choice. So if there is a passion that they have, they deserve the opportunity to be in an environment that recognizes their passion, their strength, help them support that, and then get them placed into an opportunity with an organization that recognizes that they have value and want them there for, for that. We, the businesses that hire our graduates are not hiring our graduates because, oh, it's a, you know, having somebody with autism, it's because they're very good at their job and makes them more money, and that person is a good representation of their organization. What type of follow-up do you have once these students are placed, like with the work site? Do you follow up? Do you get feedback? Yeah. 
So we have a team of employment specialists that then go out and work side by side. And that person actually acts as, at least for a period of time, as a navigator, if you will, to help that business understand some of the barriers of hiring an individual with autism, but recognize that those aren't really barriers. It's just a reframing of how we ask questions, how we look at things, how we explain tasks and instructions. And what I mean by that is we just had a, a, I'm also part of the Colorado Neurodiversity Chamber of Commerce. And one of the things we just did was a training and recognizing there was a student that went in for an interview and the example given was um, the interviewer said, are you proficient on Microsoft Excel? This person then said, no, I'm not. And so immediately the interviewer was like, okay, let's, let's move on. And then that employment specialist next to them said, no, 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 let's reframe that question. Ask him what his favorite part about Excel is. So then the interviewer asked him, what's your favorite part about Excel? And he went into this long, in-depth coding, programming, how to do everything you could possibly imagine. But in his mind, when he was asked, do you know how to do Excel, there were a couple things he didn't know how to do, so it was no. So immediately, that framed in that light could be conceived as, okay, this person doesn't know what they're doing. They clearly do. It's understanding how to ask a question that frames somebody's ability and talent and actually discover that rather than these kind of blanket statements of the past. My thoughts are going to the parents of these students. I'm sure, you know, they get that diagnosis at some point and there's a lot of concern about you know how will my child survive in this world especially if I'm no longer here to care for that child so what kind of feedback have you gotten from the parents about this opportunity being presented to their children it's well I'm a parent of a child with autism so it's very personal everything we do here is from a parent perspective to the fact that students that come here are mostly on grant scholarships We get a variety of different funding streams. Most of our students here are not paying out of pocket. We don't want that. The average family in Colorado spends $100,000 a year on services for their child with autism before they buy a loaf of bread, pay for their rent, 100 grand. Time Magazine did a study and said that the cost to raise a neurodivergent child is $2.2 million, as opposed to a quarter million for neurotypical. So parents are already exhausted. They a lot of times have two, three jobs. They, you know, have a lot of support as somebody's younger because there's lots of supports when kids are younger. And then as they get older, all of a sudden that goes away. And then they get to, okay, my son or daughter's getting ready to graduate high school. What do I do next? And then there's all of a sudden that realization that there's nothing there. And there's no supports. There's no communication. There's no extra funding. There's no anything. It's just, okay, and now your child's either going to live in your basement and play video games, or they're going to go to a day treatment center, but they're not giving them the opportunity to go to college, to come and learn a trade, anything along those lines. So um, there's a person here with Walker, and there's a lot of uh, interaction between the two. Is Mm -hmm. she a teacher? Yeah, she is. So the way we've got our our program set up, you can see we never have more than six, seven kids per class. We try to keep most of them at six. And the lead instructor is a licensed carpenter. Um, He also has to be a licensed teacher, which is pretty cool. And it's a rare situation to find somebody that's both. And she's what's called an RBT, which is a registered behavioral technician. Um, And she works as an aide in the sense that while our main instructor also does have autism experience, she has that well. So if we can partner somebody that's an expert with autism, that's somebody that's an expert in the trades and they're working together in a small situation, they can all be successful. So when he's putting together the lessons and talking to the businesses, like what is you know, a relevant skill that we need for this group to be successful, 
he can then work with her to customize that for our students. This way, in this small setting of no more than six, seven kids per class, everything is customized for every student. It's not like a textbook where it's kids open to chapter seven, we're going to do pages 10 through 20 today, and you look at the end of the week to say if they did that. This is a much more organic, holistic way of going about it. So a lot of times for him, when he's working with her, there's that feedback needed. And this, what a, mm. what's cool about a situation like this is he can get it in an actual skill you know, development work center as opposed to a traditional classroom where he's sitting behind a desk and he's got an iPad in front of him or something that doesn't actually give him that same level of input. Is that instructor a part of the job site experience for the student? The instructor isn't, but the way that we kind of try to set it up is traditionally what happens, and if there's like another quote-unquote workforce development center, a lot of times what makes TACT unique in a variety of different ways is most places don't give any kind of training that's authentic to the job. They just go to a neurodivergent individual and say, you want a job? This organization has a job, and they place them there they might have an employment specialist that FaceTimes in or calls in, and that's better than nothing, but it's we haven't found that to be successful personally. With here, what we do is we have our teachers that work with our um, employment director who goes out to all these different businesses and asks them, what are you actually working on? Like, what's real and authentic to actual the workplace? Brings that back to the teacher. The teacher then puts that together into lessons that they work on here. And then when he does a work-based interview, so most of our employers do work-based interviews as opposed to sitting across from Buddy, reading a resume, Mm -hmm. smiling, making perfect eye contact, appropriate body gestures, whatever that means. We try to set it up where the employers come out or they go there and they do a work-based interview. They see that individual, their talent and ability. And then taking that, seeing how efficient they are, how qualified they are, their ability, their strength, then they give us a lot of times like supplies that will come back here and practice. And so it's taking that transition from employer to classroom to interview back here where they're actually developing those skills here and then they move into that setting. So again, it's simulating every step of it in a real way as opposed to, okay, you learned here, now you're going to go to this different you know job site with new people, with new sounds, with new smells, with new co- points of contact. That's a lot of different news for somebody to kind of overcome in a lot of different ways. So we try to really minimize it and take it in a way that's very logical and strategic for them to be successful. It was a life changer. I grew a lot as a person because I, it gave me an environment to be myself. Um, and I um, something that I have learned now is autism doesn't necessarily mean that you're stupid. It just means that you learn differently. And tact has always been that safe place that I can go to where my teachers and the, all the staff and everyone around me is willing to teach me differently. Um, and so it's been, it's been really nice. Um, I went to TAC, I think I attended TAC for three years before I graduated and I, I mean, I came back. So I think that says a lot about my views of this place. Um, honestly, last summer, not having tact around having a place to chat with people and build stuff was a little rough. Um, so it's, it's a really special place. Um, it means a lot to me. So was a lot of it for you having a community that supported you and just for friendships and relationship building? Absolutely. Um, yeah, it was both, both a, a social circle and a place for me to be able to learn. Um, and I feel like meshing those two things together was a really good thing. Um, 
because I was around people that were also learning um, and just hanging out with hanging out with peers and a lot of different people from different walks of life. I socialized a lot more than I think I ever would have in school. Um, and it's, yeah, it was really nice. How did being in the program help change your perspective on you? Um, I think I, I, that's a good question. I feel like I became more conscious about myself. Um, some of the things that I, that I did that maybe weren't the best behavior. I, um, you work in a shop, you make mistakes building stuff. It's just what happens. Um, you mess up a cut, you know, you weld something wrong, whatever mistakes happen. And the important part is to learn from your mistakes. And I think probably the number one thing that I've done with that tactics helped me with is I've, I've taken that learning from your mistakes mindset and brought it outside of the classroom and the workspace and kind of applied it to my normal life. And I've, I've using that, I've been able to recognize a lot of my faults and improve myself as a person. Um, quite a lot, I think. It seems pretty clear that there's a lot of miseducation and misinformation about people with autism. Mm -hmm. And what do you want people to know about people with autism? Um, Like I said before, we're not stupid. We just learn differently. And autism is a spectrum. A lot of people learn, or a lot of people are at different levels of functionality. Some folks, it's like me, I'm pretty high functioning. Most folks wouldn't even really realize that I'm autistic if they just chatted with me on the street, but I absolutely am. I absolutely have parts to me that, and parts of my brain that function differently. And when you put me in a public education situation, those things really come to light and it causes me a lot of problems. Um, but it doesn't mean that I'm stupid or any less of a person. I can do just as much as anybody else, sometimes even more because my mind ends up having a different take than the average person. I just, it just requires somebody to have that that understanding to come at me at a, at a different angle than you would just a regular person, approach me differently, teach me differently, figure out how we work together um, and go from there. And if, if folks do that, teachers do that, it's an incredible thing. How do those differences show up? Can you give us an example? Um, t- t- styles of learning, I think would be one thing. Um, I don't do very well just watching or listening to somebody talk about something. I do much better doing the thing myself and making those mistakes and then having somebody guide me along to help point me in the right direction with my own like self-analyzing of like what I did wrong um, and then giving me tips and pointers as well as just honestly, I think one thing that I've realized is having a good friendly relationship with your teacher is incredibly important um, because my teachers that are here that I care about, I'm much more willing to listen and to understand their criticisms and their pointers than I am with a regular teacher at public school because I don't interact with that person very much. Um, so yeah, having that is definitely another thing. Um, but yeah, styles of learning, it's, it's difficult to explain, to be honest. It's kind of just a, it's a very feel-based thing. But it just requires it requires an environment and a teacher that's willing to go by feel and learn and change how they teach to better fit you. Um, and TACT has been an incredible place for that and probably the only place that I've been to that's done that other than the occasional good teacher. But those are always hit and miss. 
So Seamus, what was your experience like in the public school system? Uh, it sucked. <laughs> I don't know what the rating level of this radio show is or how detailed I can get into it, but I was bad. Um, and this is when you were in the public school system? Yes. I, I was homeschooled for first grade into fifth grade um, because my experiences in kindergarten were awful. I don't remember much of it, but my mom tells me that it was bad. Um, I really wanted to go into public school for sixth grade, and so I did, um, and that was traumatic, um, a really bad part of my life. I got bullied um, by both students and staff members. Um, the school that I went to did not have a very good um, special education program at all. I remember the, the special ed room that we had was a closet with no windows mm. and no finished walls. Wow. Like wires dangling from the ceiling levels. That's how much they cared about Doesn't us. Doesn't sound very safe either. <laughs> no, not exactly. Not exactly. Um, yeah, that was a very difficult part of my time. So I, I went there for a year and I'm still going to therapy afterwards. Um, so after that, I tried to transition to doing an online school, which I did for seventh grade and the first half of eighth grade, which was better, but still not great because I was still having those situations where some teachers just didn't care about me, didn't want to change their way. And I, to be honest, I, it only takes one bad teacher to derail a student. Like, I had, I had a decent amount of good teachers there, and then I had a math teacher that hated my guts. Um, and in sixth grade, I had a science teacher that hated my guts, and I love science, so that was a really weird thing to not want to go into science class as somebody who shoots off bottle rockets in his driveway since he was, like, eight. Mm. Um, so, yeah, having one bad teacher is all it took to just derail me into a, just a, a miserable mess. And... Yeah, I remember in sixth grade after I um, I only had three classes because I was supposed to be doing a, a hybrid public school and homeschool thing. I had my three classes in the morning and I went home and I cried. I remember watching Scrubs eating ice cream out of a tub with a fork multiple times. Um, that's the kind of mental state that I was in. And so you take somebody that's like that, that's crying almost every single day, feeling miserable, eating ice cream out of the tub with a fork. Um, because I had done it so often that we were out of spoons. Um, you take somebody like that and then you put it into tact and I just completely change. All it takes is the right environment for somebody. Just an atmosphere of pure positivity and creativity. Um, and it's really nice. Now, when you talk to the other students who were here when you were here and when you come visit now, do they share similar stories about their treatment in school system and other settings? To an extent. Honestly, I never really asked about that because that's kind of a, it's a slightly traumatic thing, but we're all in a good mood, so we don't really want to bring up the, the bad stuff. I, I know that classmates that I've had have not exactly had pleasant experience in the public education system. It's rather built to just kind of jettison autistic people because it 
doesn't have the resources or training to properly take care of them. Um, so I'm, I mean, I'm sure if you were to ask around classmates and the folks around here, they probably would have similar stories. They might not be able to tell you as good as I can, but I'm sure they do have those stories. Um, but it's, it's never really been about what we've been through. We've all, it's just a really nice thing to be here. Um, and to learn and be creative, you don't want to, you don't want to bring up the trauma, I guess. So your son is Dylan. What has the journey been like for your family since his diagnosis? So I, I first suspected that Dylan had autism when he was really, really young. Um, there were just some things that made Dylan extra special right from the get-go. And um, he's 14 years old now, and this was right at the time when it felt like at least that Facebook had first come out. So our little friend group um, all were you know, sharing pictures of of their kid and sharing videos on Facebook and gloating about how amazing their kids are. And their kids are amazing. I mean, they really are. Um, Dylan wasn't doing the same things that they were doing um, in regards. What was an example of some of the things he, he wasn't doing? Gosh, I think Dylan was six, six and a half before he could actually say, hello, dad, I love you. Um, my daughter, who's three years younger, was more verbal um, than Dylan as far as a lot of different things. Um watching him too like in play settings anytime we were at like a public park or any kind of friend situation he just was not interested in socializing with the kids around him at all like he was doing his thing and he was completely happy doing his thing and you know when you have one kid at first you just and especially your your first you don't really notice that much at first just like, oh, okay this is what it's like having a you know a young child and then when friends start having kids and you start seeing all the things it starts really bringing it to your awareness. And then like a slew of testing started. And this was in Nashville where I lived at the time doing music. And um, gosh, it cost a fortune too, going to all these different things and getting all these different tests taken and moments of um, where you were scared where, for example, um, the pediatrician thought Dylan might have something called Fragile X, um, which is very similar to autism, but has some physical genetic markers. And um, it's also can be terminal. So when somebody tells you that they think, and especially a doctor tells you that, hey, we think looking at your son that they have this, um, and then you go and get tested, you're terrified. And then like for Dylan, for example, the test came back negative and the pediatrician's like, nope, that doctor that did that's wrong. I want you to do it again. And then having to go get the test again and it still came back negative. He doesn't have fragile X. But um, when you go through those kind of emotional roller coasters as a parent, um, it's a lot. And I mean, everything from hearing tests to, gosh, you, you can name it. I mean, they do a whole bunch of tests when somebody's being diagnosed with autism and um, wasn't always happy uh, about it. And, but just recognizing my son has so much to offer and um, having an educational background and just being very proactive and wanting to make sure my son had a lot of success, started looking at what the future of autism looked like for him. And even though he's 14, and this was years ago where he was diagnosed, it still wasn't looking very good. It's still very, very bleak. I mean, my goal for TACT, if we can get it to the sense that, you know, we're moving the needle down a few degrees, right? If we can take a 90% unemployment rate and make it an 80% unemployment rate, we'll have done more for the neurodivergent community and gainful employment than any other organization will have ever done. If we can do something which seems so minimal and so small for moving something that that bar, which is not a good bar to move, um, we've done a lot. And so then taking, 
you know, his development, recognizing his, you know, strengths, and then arguing at every step of the way with different schools and administrators and therapists. And, you know, they all mean really well. They're all doing great things. They're doing good work. And I feel bad for, like, you know, public school teachers that are put in really crummy spots to have to somehow overcome 35 kids in a class, especially, you know, if you have somebody like Dylan that has so much to offer but might need a little bit more help and support, especially when he was younger. Um, It takes away a lot of their time from other kids. And you have all kinds of range of emotions as a parent where you almost feel guilty, too, that your child needs more support and you feel like, you know, you're somehow depriving other parents' kids of their educational development. Um, A lot of times people will make something in one of our classes. We have a lot of exploratory discovery type camps and workshops where people can come in and try to make something for the first time and experience what it's like to work with the trades. And you can just see their entire body language change when they recognize, oh my gosh, I can do something. Because so much of autism education and the behavioralist approach to kids with autism is we need to change this, we need to divert this, we need to somehow fix this rather than, oh my gosh, look at what they're doing. How can we take that and build it up and help them be successful? It seems subtle, but it's important. Your journey with Dylan catapulted you on this journey (laughs) in creating TACT. So tell us a little bit about that journey, that process. So getting to this space was wild. We started in a 58 Chevy. Then we had this crummy old glorious warehouse in Rhino for a few months, which was awesome before it got knocked down and turned into apartments. Um, And then we have a place that we were at for about four years off um, 8th Avenue in Federal, right by the Broncos Stadium. That was just our launching pad. And we developed so many relationships with so many different businesses. Um, On our gear donor wall here at the new facility, there's 68 businesses and families that jumped in to help make this space possible. And we've grown from a 5,000 square foot facility to an 18,474 square foot facility, um, which is remarkable. And to think that most of it was done by businesses that hire our graduates, I think that's incredible. It's a testament that, you know, that these organizations recognize that our kids have value and they're bringing so much to their organizations that they want more. And I think that's what we're trying to model is that's no longer a program at that point. That's a culture. That's a genuine model of inclusivity when the businesses recognize that we want this workforce because it makes our organization better. And um, we got the keys for this. There's an amazing organization called the Urban Land Conservancy that helped us step into this facility. We got the keys on July 1st. um, And then here we are in January we're in. So to remodel in this day and age, that kind of square footage. It's pretty impressive, I think. Shows how hard those organizations worked for us. Danny Combs is the founder of TACT, Teaching the Autism Community Trades in Inglewood. When we come back, overcoming the word no. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News.
west of Leadville in the Sawatch Range is Mount Massive, an appropriately named behemoth with five summits and more area above 14,000 feet than any other mountain in the lower 48. Mount Elbert beats Massive for the title of Colorado's tallest mountain by just 12 feet. That irked Mount Massive supporters so much that in the 1970s, they piled rocks on Massive's highest point in an attempt to raise the mountain's elevation and profile. But supporters of Mount Elbert promptly knocked those piles down. In 1988, a re-measurement confirmed Elbert as the state's tallest mountain. Though it lost the rivalry for height, Mount Massive is a harder climb. The standard trail traverses a three-mile ridge that connects all five sub-peaks. The Forest Service says it's a moderate to strenuous hike, with a 4,500-foot elevation gain along the 14-mile round trip. A Colorado postcard from CPR with the support of Coble & Company. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. The final part of my conversation now with Danny Combs. He's the founder of TACT, Teaching the Autism Community Trades, a program based in Inglewood. It empowers people on the autism spectrum to learn the skills they need to get a job in the trade industry. We met at the program's sprawling facility. How big is Colorado's autistic community when it comes to school-aged yeah. The school age population. That's a great question. I don't know the exact number of individuals with autism. I can tell you that there's over 12,000 um, neurodiverse individuals right now, according to state records, um, that are looking for work. Um, 12,000 is a big number. Of course, you mentioned your own journey, but how did you connect this concept of reaching out to the autism community and the fact that there were skills needed among this population to be employed in trades? That's a great, so my family background was in the trades. Um, so my great-grandfather and grandfather worked for a company called Grumman, um, then it later became North of Grumman. Uh, it was also a big employer here in the Denver area, especially in the space, aerospace area. Uh, my dad was a general contractor, so I kind of grew up in the trades, which is why you're, you know, fourth generation, you run away and go to Nashville and play guitar, right? Um, and so I always recognize that that was, you know, an industry of, of value. And um, when I saw my son, that was the first part and mixing that with my educational background and seeing that there was a definite need. And also at the time, recognizing that what was happening in transition services was just transitioning to day treatment centers, which again have value, but it's not what we wanted the future to be for our kid. So um, it took a lot of, I think at first, working with a lot of groups of people that said no. I can't tell you how many times I've heard no. And so I think with this space, you know, having people say yes, it's been really neat um, because you can you hear no a whole bunch of times, but it, you hear it so much, you don't even mind asking for people's help anymore. So, um, and the neat thing is all these people recognize that what we're doing has value again, which I like to say. The whole system is set up against them, every aspect of it. So I think it's gonna take a lot more for tact and you know the neurodivergent community be successful we can start really changing policies and structure of government and recognizing that there shouldn't be barriers for individuals with autism wanting to find gainful employment that there should be supports in place programs that um, help it be achievable and doable without any kind of punitive damage how many students do you have here and is there a certain area of training that seems to resonate most with them 
the automotive training seems to be the one that resonates the most. That's definitely been our most popular. And it could be because we started in a cool 58 Chevy and we just like cars. <laughs> but um, Monday through Friday, we have 67 students come through our career tracks program throughout all of our mobile workshops, camps, outreach programs, um, weekend workshop classes. We'll have over 700 kids come through the doors this year. What about your instructors? Who are they and where do they come from generally? So we like to find instructors that have years of experience in the trades, a lot of times retired trades professionals, because they have experience that you just can't find in a book, like the, the trips or tricks and trades that they know. It's pretty impressive. And then we can, um, mix that with special education professionals and autism specialists. I understand that you're in the process of becoming accredited. Yeah. But not by the state of Colorado's education department. Why wouldn't this fall under the province of the state and who would be doing the accrediting? Yeah, so we are in the process of being accredited by an organization called Cognia, um, which used to be called Accelerated Ed, and it's a national accreditation. Again, we're trying to take TACT much bigger than just Colorado. So as we go through this accreditation process, the goal is that once we seek this accreditation, we'll be able to take TACT anywhere across the country, and that accreditation follows us. So we set up a TACT in Nebraska, Wyoming, Florida, Vermont. It, that same kind of um, support goes there, too. In another first, you also helped found the Colorado Neurodiversity Chamber of Commerce. Yes, ma'am. Again, with the idea of providing opportunities for neurodivergent individuals and helping them excel in the workforce. Is this another example of recognizing and just trying to fill a void that's out there? I think... um I was really, really happy to start the um, Colorado University Chamber of Commerce with Dr. Amanda Kelly from Firefly Autism and Tiffany Feingold from Guiding Bright Minds. And they're leaders in the community that recognize, too, that our kids um, and our whole community um, has a lot of value. And we looked at businesses and we thought to ourselves, oh, my gosh, the fact that you know, businesses are wanting to hire our community. It seems like the DEI movement is starting to head into that direction, which is awesome but they don't know where to begin. And the fact that, you know, we have a variety of other chambers, there's, you know, the Women's Chamber, there's um, Latino Chamber, there's the LGBTQ um, Chamber, there's a variety of different ones, but still, although it's 2022 and there was no neurodiverse Chamber of Commerce, um, so we definitely wanted to start it to represent our organization and our community within business. And we've had just an amazing amount of support. I mean, just dozens and dozens of businesses and individuals that have jumped on board, everything from Denver government, the Denver airport, Charles Schwab, Health One, uh, pharmaceutical companies, um, sign companies, um, a whole bunch of different businesses that are asking the question like, hey, we're starting to recognize finally that the neurodivergent community has value and talent and something to offer we don't know where to begin. And I think that's a good first step to recognize, I don't know where to begin and ask for help on how to do that. And the neat thing is the chamber then can work with businesses in that capacity. We mentioned earlier that you're a man with a variety of interests. At one point, you were a musician in Nashville. Yes, ma'am. Working with Grammy winners and even winning a Grammy Enterprise Award for a program you developed for that city school system. I wonder if that Danny Combs would have ever envisioned the Danny Combs of today. What do you have to say about that? Well, the Danny Combs of today's hair is much grayer. Um, 
from doing this. Um, no, I mean, I was very, very fortunate. I moved to Nashville. I got a music degree from Appalachian State, went to Nashville, and right away I got a job working in the music industry, working with a whole bunch of different artists. Um, it was really cool. I mean, it was a great point in life. I mean, I think anytime you get to live your dream, especially when you're, you know, a young 20-something, you're like, oh, I'm going to go to Nashville and make it. Um, it's get a little naive and a little optimistic, but it actually worked out, and I was really happy to, to get to do that. And I got to meet some incredible people that um, were incredibly talented, and I think a lot of life lessons of where I am today really helped. I mean, I think, you know, one of the biggest lessons I learned working there was that people that were really good, you would never know it when you met them outside of that kind of performance setting. They were just genuinely authentic people that lived it and didn't need to brag about it or talk themselves up. They just had it. And I think um, I was very fortunate to get to work with people like that as opposed to the ones that were always telling you how great they were, look at what they could do, because, um, you know, maybe they could, but people didn't like to work with those kind of people. I found that the lessons I learned in Nashville doing music were that just that, you know, if you were really good, you didn't need to tell it. You could just show it. And I think that's been valuable to our kids here. Um, our kids show it. And I think that's something I've taken from that. Now, you also joined the Air Force Reserve <laughs> at Buckley Space Force Base in Aurora. Mm -hmm. What does a space operator do and what led you to enlist? So, you know, I always wanted to join the military. I always wanted to do the Air Force. My uh, grandfather was Air Force and... Um, my ex-wife at the time never wanted me to do it. And when I had gotten divorced, I finally did it. I got to that age where it was either do it or you're going to be too old to do it. So I did. And my grandfather, um, doing the Northrop Grumman space stuff, I kind of wanted to follow in that family legacy of working in space. And, um, so I got to, you know, tested well and got to do the space stuff. And yeah, I get to work with some incredible people there. Now, has Dylan shown any interest in manning a space mission to, to Mars or some other galaxy you know, far, far away? Every time I talk space stuff with Dylan, I try to show him, you know, cool stuff that's taking place um, with any kind of rocket stuff or satellites. I, I really like satellites and the stuff that we're doing with the satellites. And it just goes, you know, blank to eyes. Like, he just doesn't seem to be interested in that at all. He likes, you know, my grandfather got to do the Apollo um, mission. Um, so I actually have at home some of the original drawings of the lunar module that he did from Grumman back in the day, in the 60s, when they did that. And we have them framed on the wall. And I thought, oh, he'd be so cool to see this and he'd find it. But no, he doesn't like the space stuff. <laughs> well, you've been much of a nomad most of your life. Uh, what is it that you want for Dylan? I want Dylan to be able to be his authentic self and be able to represent his passion, his interests, his just, um, his life, his voice. He has so much to offer and he brings so much joy. I mean, if you had a chance to talk to Dylan, I promise you, he would find him to be the kindest, sweetest boy you've ever met. Um, almost overly empathetic, empathetic in a, in a lot of ways. Um, in my mind, because he's just so wanting to please others. But I want him to, you know, never know how hard his dad had to work to change his future. I hope he never recognizes how much our community had to fight for the opportunity for him to have a bright future. I want him to just step into that where it's like, okay, this was a future that was always here and I should have always had. Um, I just want him to be happy. 
Danny, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Danny Combs is the founder of TACT, Teaching the Autism Community Trades. We visited his new facility in Inglewood to discuss the program for people on the spectrum for autism. Special thanks to producer Anthony Cotton and audio engineer Shane Rumsey. I'm Chandra Thomas-Woodfield. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. KRCC.